Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel and Adam for another episode of Horror Express. And tonight we're talking about the 1984 film Night of the Comet. Um, this is one that I have not seen in ages. This is my first time going back to it uh, since I was a kid, probably. I think Adam was the same way. I don't know. I can't. I, Adam, were you similar? And yeah. I would even go a step further in the, on watching this. It's like I did see this in the 80s, but I kind of realized watching it, I'd only been over it like at friends' houses mm. and it had been on and we'd been talking. And so I had all these images from the movie in my head, but when the plot was kind of playing out, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I ever actually sat down and watched the thing and paid attention yeah. to it. So yeah. it was... No, yeah. I, I think I, I I was probably similar, or I watched it and I just forgot a lot of the details. Um, like mm -hmm. I remembered some of the key scenes, like the 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 female scientist with the glass sunglasses on as she's about to kill herself with the injection of whatever it was, um, and the and the and the monologue that she gives. I remember that monologue very distinctly, but a, a lot of the other things are just images and flashes. The the mom's house in San Diego, I remember because I had a grandma in San Diego and it reminded mm -hmm. me of the house um you know things like that uh and joel this was your first time seeing it right yeah i think so i, I may have seen this when i was a kid like as a sci-fi rerun or something like mm -hmm. that but so it was familiar when you were watching like when you were watching it where you're like oh this well, looks familiar or no not really it, i had that vague feeling of like deja vu sometimes mm -hmm. when i was watching it but I don't know if it's because I've seen it before or because it has a lot of DNA with like a yeah. lot of movies that do this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a little bit of like Day of the or, uh, uh, yeah, Day of the Dead in there. There's a little bit of, you know, a, a lot of different like yeah. zombie movies. In there. And I know Adam uh, was, for another reason, Adam was talking about 28 Days Later, which mm -hmm. is a whole separate topic. But that movie, I think the opening scene really reminds me of like the, the style of how they had dealt with civilization collapsing kind of reminded me of how they did it here. Um, yep. but, uh, yeah. So, so for those who haven't seen it, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that haven't. Cause I feel like this is a movie that is not as well remembered as many other films from this period. I know it's like a cult classic, but you just don't see people talking about it that much. Uh, it's, you know, there's a, a comet is coming. I guess it was the same comet that, that possibly was related to the destruction of the dinosaurs that kind of play a little loose with the facts, but they say that this uh -huh. is like the first time it's been around and they, they give the, they said like not since the end of the dinosaurs, basically. And, uh, you know, you, you, there's, there, there's a hint that some people in the scientific community are going into a bunker cause they know this might be a bad thing, but everybody else is partying kind of like in, um, uh, uh, what was it? Judgment day, right? The, was, was it, was judgment day. The, no, I'm getting my no, movies mixed up. Uh, Independence Independence day. day, thank you. Independence Day. Like Independence Day where people are celebrating and then the aliens invade. And so everybody's celebrating this comet and it leaves a plume of red dust that infects people and turns them into... It either disintegrates you or if you were protected, you get infected and you turn into what I would call a competent zombie. A competent and mentally capable zombie that's capable of speech and a number of other things, but still kind of a zombie. Um... And the main character is this girl who works at a movie theater and she's making out with her kind of boyfriend. Like, I don't know what he is, but his name is Dupree. And he's, and all we know about him is that he sells bootleg uh, copies of the films that they get there. And so he's kind of a scummy guy. But because the, 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 the projection booth is encased in steel, she's protected. Her sister sleeps in a shed at home and is protected. And then they kind of band together and they have to find their way in this world. And that eventually leads them to this sinister scientific underground bunker at the end of the movie uh, where they're at first you think it's like a creepy sex thing or something, but then it turns out to be like, no, they're, they're, they're using people to draw their blood so that they can, they basically turn you into uh they basically like make you brain dead and, and, and use your blood so they can create a serum to reverse the effects of the comet on themselves. Um, and so, I don't know, did I miss anything crucial in the plots there? There was a guy named Hector that I probably forgot about, but other than that... He just kind of shows up, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, like, that's... I think that's the major strokes of it, right? Because there's interpersonal stuff that happens between the characters that's, like, the actual meat of the movie. Yeah. But as far as, like, the beats of the plot, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and so, uh, so I don't know, what was your, what, your reactions to this movie? I guess, let's start with Joel, because it was his first time seeing it. Um, 
I think you and I were talking about how 80s this movie was yeah. earlier. <laughs> this is an extremely 80s movie. Like, they even have a shopping mall, like, scene after the world ends. Like, it, just, it can't escape. It can't escape how 80s it is. The hair is very 80s. Uh, the younger sister being a cheerleader in an extremely 80s cheerleader outfit uh, is extremely 80s. The whole thing, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> so it's it's very, it's it's nostalgic even if you didn't really live through a lot of the 80s. Because I, I only saw a little bit of that. I was a baby in the 80s, right? I um, was getting painful nostalgia. Like, like, like it was making, I was getting physical memories from the 80s watching this film like because the decor too was so like the all the neon like the way they use neon it just was this was like the peak style that kind of lingered up to the end of the 80s i think and it just the the movie really reminded me of like when i was a kid between like 84 and 1987 yeah so there was that um i like this movie more than i thought i would because uh, when it starts, it really feels like one of those Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, like deeply into the B-movie territory, B-movies, yeah. you know? Yeah, it literally and starts then, at like, a movie theater with like some real corny dialogue and a corny character, right? So, Do we ever get any answer about the guy whose high score she was beating? Yeah, yes. we did at the very end. At the very end, we got okay, an okay. His license guy, well, plate was DMK. Yeah, it was kind of oh, it was kind of okay. tagged on at the end in like a an odd That's way, right. but. I mean, the question is, that. I got the impression he like stole that car. He's like, oh, I got twelve more of them. You know, it was That's just something right. he scavenged. But it, so. but that was his name though. So that must have been his actual car, right? Or he saw the license plate and said, hey, those are my initials. And this has got to be my be. car. Yeah. Or he assumed that guy's identity. He assumed. That, yeah. Here's the thing. Right. He already had the vanity plate, which he took off of his car and put on a better car. That's, yeah. That's possible. That's possible. Yep. So that yeah. would have been my post-apocalypse move. He assumed his identity because he was jealous of his number six so, score on the uh, on the game. But you were saying you <laughs> like, liked it. You, you liked it better than you thought you were, even though it started yeah, out to be. Um, because it's it's goofy, but it really it does two things that I think are really impressive. The first thing is that it focuses on the interpersonal relationships of the characters, and it does so in a sophisticated way that's both believable and nuanced. And so the the plot's driven by the different characters making decisions. I always love that, and it showed that they actually had a lot of like craft and skill with making this weird goofy comet movie and um it actually has a few moments where the characters are overwhelmed by the sheer scale of the end of the world and it actually there's a lot of uh it's it's some dark nihilistic moments where like the kid the the younger sister is just like the whole the whole world is gone it's freaking gone and it has some sort of a sappy ending i guess a little bit but i don't know um there's something about I, it where they never really stop acknowledging just how dark that is. Yeah, I don't know if that's so much sappy as it is. There's almost something demented about that ending. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, we'll get into that. we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, no, I want to agree with you. I think I was really impressed with um, just how believable their reactions were when they realized that the world had kind of ended. It was. It wasn't like a. They didn't jump to like, oh my god, and they also didn't like. They didn't ignore it either, but it was kind of more like stages of denial that were were in play, yeah. and it just kind of and then and then the emotions would well up, so it just felt more like a plausible reaction. Now, Adam, what was your reaction to the movie? Well, I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I mean, same thing. It, it's definitely a very low budget movie. It's definitely got that feel to it. But yeah, it really kind of pulls you into the characters. They have a lot of depth. I mean, what what like one touch I like is the fact early on it brings up the fact that you know their their father kind of tried to raise them as boys early on, and they've got all this kind of they've got this tomboyish element to it. But a lot of movies when they do that will will push all the way in that direction. But it's yeah. like these are also girls who act like girls too. So it was just. It just it just added a nice complexity to their characters, I think. I mean, uh, you know, not not that I I dislike the characters in Krampus. You've got those similar characters in Krampus, where the girls who are raised as boys and yeah. they're just really they're not as likable. Really pushed in likeable. that in that direction, you know. Yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, these these just felt more like real people I knew. And and, but, uh, and Regina's whole thing with the high score on the uh, video game machine. <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it, it, it has, it just has a really nice atmosphere to it. We've kind of talked about hangout movies before. Yeah. And this kind of is in a lot of ways, a very hangout movie. You're kind of, kind of watching these people kind of going through this situation and with these realistic reactions. And, and I don't know. I mean, I remember one reason this movie did kind of stick with me, even though I never really watched it all the way through is that, you know, in the eighties you had the whole fear of nuclear war thing. Yeah. And there was just, this kind of thing that would run through a lot of people's heads back then about, whoa, what if I was one of the last people left yeah. and what would you do? And it was like, it was just something people would think about a lot back then. So this this movie just on a, on a deep level kind of brought me back to that time. Aside, you know, on top of the excessive 80-ness of the movies. I mean, it's, it's, it's as 80s as movies that are trying to parody the 80s are in its 80s-ness, which you <laughs> don't often see. You know, usually like, well, no, nothing was really like that. It's like, yeah, this movie is this, is that 80s. This reminded me of like hanging out with my friends in the 80s. Like I was like, my friend's yeah. room looked like this place or whatever, you know, just like everything mm -hmm. looked very 80s to me. Yeah I, yeah, I I had not seen this in, I think, 30 years. I think this was one of those movies they played a lot on HBO because I do remember seeing it, it a did. lot. And uh, and. And I remember, like again, that the scene with the scientist woman really stuck out. I remember the scene where he's 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 like asking the 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 girl uh, Regina questions when she's in the bunker, and he's getting increasingly irritated because he's succumbing to. You know, I remember that yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, you know, there were just certain scenes that 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 stuck out, but I didn't remember all the things that thread them together. And this was a film that I just I don't know for some reason I would always kind of think about those scenes and be like, oh. I, I really wish I remembered the context better because, you know, just something about the movie made an impact on me. And and watching it this time around, I was I was a little bit nervous because, like, oh, this is probably going to be one of those movies where I watch it and it's going to suck. Like, I remember it <laughs> being a certain way. It's going to suck. And mm -hmm. I was really exhausted when I sat down to watch it. I was in probably, like, the worst possible movie-watching mood. But we had, like, yeah. two hours to go, so I got I got to watch it regardless. And, uh, and, and it just was instantly, I was like, on you know in for the ride with the movie it, it, it pulled me into it and i i don't know I, I i liked how how chill it is it's not like most zombie movies are so catastrophic do you know what i mean like the mm -hmm. zombies are everywhere there's hordes of zombies all over the, and, and i know we can debate whether it's a zombie movie but there's there's hordes of zombies everywhere uh this was this was almost more like like you said like a hangout movie. You're, it's it's a lot of focus on the characters and hanging out with them and the world that they're in, and the threats emerge occasionally in small numbers. It's not and it's never like it's never like the threat comes and then up oh, that's it like everything goes to hell. It's like no the, yeah. a degree of normality resumes after the threat has come, and 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 just to you know reiterate what both of you guys said the just how 80s this movie is is it's 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 we we reviewed a lot of 80s movies on here and 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 and, and obviously even not on here we, we watch a lot of 80s movies and this has got to be the most 80s 80s film that we've done like it just like everything about it is uh is so pinned to the time um but also i was impressed by like you said like the characters like the girls are um they're raised by their dad to be tougher and to be, you know, to know how to use guns and how to fight. And so the first scene where the girl is attacked by the zombie, she instantly goes into defense mode and she kicks the crap out of the zombie and she rides away on the motorcycle. And that to me is, you know, I don't know that that sets the tone for the movie because now you're like, you're like, OK, these aren't helpless characters. Do you know what I mean, you feel like you're you kind of in competent hands with these characters and you it, it makes it more believable when they escape at the end. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like yeah. a, uh, an un, an implausible escape uh, because you, they've established these characters know about weapons. They know about presumably they probably also know about tactics and stuff like that because their dad was was apparently kind of paranoid, maybe. And, uh, you know, they're kind of like, um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make a comparison to like Rambo or anything like that because we don't know much about the, <laughs> the character. But but they they, they have you know they definitely were prepped for for a worst case scenario and it pays dividends yeah well the dad the background we get on him is is the isn't he supposed to be in el salvador or some or nicaragua, I think nicaragua is in, what they which is which is another super 80s touchstone there for when everybody when there was all this speculation will that be the next vietnam we go into will we go into nicaragua 
that was uh well and also it was just like there was a lot like like i mentioned commando before the podcast and like there's a lot of like that that kind of uh military action was really prevalent in a lot of these 80s movies where you yeah people you know um but uh yeah i i I don't know. I, 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 but again, that's just a background thing. He's not even in the movie. He's just like he's the dad, and 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 the only parental figure we see really is Doris, who's the most hateful <laughs> stepmom ever. <laughs> I think I think we should probably talk about Doris actually, because I think she makes a really strong impression. Um, and I think that scene is kind of I don't know. It's kind of interesting when because uh, the first person to get killed by the comet is it's kind of delicious because I think Doris is the first person who has a negative reaction to the uh to the comet yeah. dust and so because they established her as so despicable it, it's kind of like oh you know well that was i have to say that, that was one thing that surprised me as the movie went on that it did have a lot of pathos because it seemed by doing that early on it's like oh they're kind of doing this so that you don't feel bad about anybody that dies but yeah. it's like even even with the you know kind of boyfriendish character in the theater who's kind of a jerk it's like you still have the you still have Regina acting. She's she's really upset yeah. about him dying. It's uh it really shakes her. It doesn't it doesn't try to do the thing of yeah, only bad people die, don't worry about it. Let's get well, on I, with the action. Okay, so I think the reason we see her die first is because everyone wants her to die after she punches the kid yeah. in the face. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right? So that is the teaspoon of sugar to make the medicine of the apocalypse go down for the audience. Yes, yes. So you're not thinking, oh, woe is the whole world. You're thinking, oh, yeah, fuck her. They, they, yeah. Needed to, they needed to have somebody have that reaction that goes from, I'm celebrating this comet to, oh, my God, what's going on? And, and she was the best character to put that on. Also, she's, she's despicable on multiple levels. She, she, she is clearly having an affair with some guy at the party. She's, you know, she, she's cruel to both children and then she punched like you said she punches the uh the uh what was her name samantha in the in the face the younger the younger sister um but you know also that was a good scene for samantha because it establishes her personality where she you know she just kind of is like even after she gets punched she still has some fight in her do you know what i mean so it's a man i think she's my favorite character in this movie i i really i really got on board with that character really early and man i i stayed there I think the whole movie. I think yeah. she's the one that I followed the most. She was definitely, I thought, the best acting in the movie. Like she, like her performances were standing out to me. Like, you know, most of these were I, I felt pretty typical horror movie performances for the most part. Um, you know, the, no, nothing terrible or anything like that. But, uh, but I remember in, in her scenes, she seemed to be able to get the like the subtle transitions of emotion down a little better than some of the other people. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I don't know, I thought she was, a, I thought she was a good character. And well, I, they kept doing stuff with her that at first I was like, oh, that's what you're doing. Really movie typical. And then it would pull the wool like out from over my, like the scales would fall off. And like, oh no, what they're doing something really smart here. Like, uh, there's a scene early on, uh, when they go to the radio station and she goes in the bathroom and starts getting undressed and gets attacked by something. And I was like. Why would you do that movie? We know this kid's a teenager. We don't want to see her undressed. But then you real then she wakes up and it's a dream, and you realize that psychologically we are seeing her become more vulnerable in her dream. And so yeah. it's actually kind of cerebral. You're like, oh, that's really clever. And then later on, uh, she gets that shot, which you're telegraphed to believe is one of the evil scientists putting her down. Yeah, that was a good fake turned- out. That was it a was a great fake out because I was genuinely, genuinely like, oh, I can't believe you're you made me love this character and then killed her. And later on, it's it, it, it's you know it's spoilers, but it's sodium pentothal, and she comes back. Well, I love the whole ass. setup through that through all those scenes with that doctor leading up to it. She's disagreeing with the other doctors, and you don't understand what she's doing. Yeah. No, we were not bringing people. We shouldn't be bringing people back. You think, oh, she doesn't want to rescue people. She yeah. wants to keep the shelter to themselves. And no, she doesn't want them harvesting people's blood. And it's yeah. like, oh, yep. okay. Well, let's talk That's about really that. Clever. So this is at the towards the end of the movie. One of the, the there there are these doctors, these scientists that live in a bunker, and they're all we know is their mission is to survival of the human race and 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 yeah. we have this the the in fact let me get the the character names so that we're talking about the right person so this is dr uh i think it's audrey white was the name of the character and and we're we're led to believe that she's um uh, you know like she, she's she's clearly at odds with the scientists but they make it look like she might be the bad guy up to the point where she uh administers 
uh, an injection to Samantha, presumably to kill her. Um, but then it's later revealed that she does it to protect her. And the only hint that we have that of what's going on is when they bring survivors back to the to the base and their two children and she sees them and she freaks out but the whole conversation is muted by the sound of the helicopter uh you know so i, I thought they were it was very effective the way they handled that mm-hmm. and it's a it's a real bait and switch with our expectations with that base because it's a it's a dual plot line that they establish early right after the comet comes by right that there are people alive down here and there are they're scientists and they're they're trying to get survivors and healthy survivors because they know this this thing is killing everyone and uh we get a lot of information from that and we're kind of as an audience led to believe oh okay this is going to be the force that swoops in and save them yeah but it's completely the opposite <laughs> yeah the one buddy daddy scientist is actually the one who's like not turned into a monster yet and everyone else has been infected by the smart zombie plague and they're slowly becoming monsters. And so they think that, like you said, they're, they're going to harvest people and make them brain dead to produce fresh blood so that they never succumb. And it's like, Nope, this was actually the really, really bad guys descending on our otherwise victorious cast. Yeah. Well, I like the whole thing with, with Samantha having, having these rashes that she gets all the time when she's stressed out too. Mm. And that being an indication, cause you know, that, that led me to think, Oh, they're going to do a thing where the doctors think she's sick, but she's not really sick. And of course, but it's really, you know, one of the doctors thinks that and the woman who gives, gives her the shot uses that to her advantage. She clearly knows that she isn't really sick. She's like, yeah, yeah, of course she's sick. So <laughs> we need to put her down. Yep, she uses that to do a fake-out, kill the evil scientist, who, again, he's one of those guys where when you first see the movie, you're like, oh, this is the nerdy guy who turns out to be actually following the rules, that he's easily overwhelmed. And then the second viewing, you're like, no, he's just a sniveling, awful coward. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I love the standoff between her and the other scientist in the in the department store where, yeah. you know, the, or the mall or whatever it was that I thought that was uh, just the way that he's kind of like he these are not people of action like they, they, they have a security team that goes in with them, but then they're they're sort of pitted against each other. And uh, and and, he, and, and she, you can just see on his face what he's planning to do and uh, the way that he's going for his gun. Just, I don't know. I just found it very amusing. The whole the, the whole exchange there. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. One thing I also want to talk about is the comet itself. I've remembered the comet scene being so much more spectacular. And then when I <laughs> saw it, I was like, wait, what comet? Like that you almost could miss that a comet flew. Like there's no, they don't actually show a comet go by the earth. If I remember right, like they don't actually get that scene of the comet flying by the earth. This, you just see it from the point of view of being on the earth where the sky starts turning purple and you get these storms mm-hmm. um so i thought that was kind of a weird way to do it because i feel like now the convention would be no you clearly need to see the the comet do you know what i mean but they, they don't called do... night of the comet yeah. i don't want to see a comet <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like one of those idiot producer notes you get <laughs> no comet would not bang <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, yeah, for me, what, what I mainly, you know, as I said, I never really sat down and watched it. So the, the cleverness of the plot, I had, I don't know that I ever picked up on it. And I think you mentioned that was on cable all the time. I yeah. think it's one of those time, times when you, you kind of, I'd watched it with my friends. I'd see bits of it on cable flipping mm. through all the time. And I, I just had this impression of having seen it, even though I hadn't. And uh, so I just kind of remembered things like, you know, just the scenes with them outside in the sky and the empty city and then, you know, kind of having their shopping expedition. Yeah. That was mainly the uh, parts of the movie that stuck with me. So I actually I actually didn't really remember much of anything about the scientists, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I remember bits. I, I The thing is, though, I, I kind of remembered the woman being evil. Do you know what I mean? So, like, clearly <laughs> I was, you know, either I misremembered or I wasn't paying as much attention when I thought I was. Because, again, yeah. I, you know, I... This is from a period where movies like this were on HBO constantly, and mm-hmm. you know sometimes you would you would turn on HBO and it would you you would catch a movie midway through, and so what yeah. tended to happen was you would often not watch a movie the normal way you do, where you start at the beginning and go to the end. You you'd catch a movie like towards the end, and then you'd go 
you'd, you'd catch more of it another day and then one day you might catch the beginning of it or something and you'd have a very disjointed experience of the movie do you know because there was no streaming you you know unless you rented the film you you know you, you were sort yeah. of subject to the 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 whims of the tv schedule um oh man that, that reminds me that's kind of how i first saw the movie blue velvet by david lynch <laughs> was it was running on showtime a whole bunch showtime loves david lynch and uh, I would just kind of I would flip over and it would be one of the many insane, already disjointed scenes in that movie. And I'd be like, what is this? I, mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, so I feel like that I feel like a lot of people watch movies that way. And that started to shape the kind of movies that were coming. I feel like, for example, what about Bob is like the perfect movie to watch in that in that structure of, yeah. you know, what I mean, you could pop in at any time and it's funny. It doesn't matter if you were there from the very beginning or not. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of movies like that ended up being shown that way on HBO, where they're like, "Well, There's we know people." There's a lot gonna... of Bill Murray movies that do that because Ghostbusters does that, Groundhog's Day does that. Like if if it's Bill Murray's in it, you could almost set your watch by it being something you can do that too. Caddyshack does that too. That's weird. Yeah, when you think about like Caddyshack and Ghostbusters, I mean, it's it's kind of that Second City crew where they were kind of doing improv comedy, sketch comedy for a long time too. So I mean, it's those movies do have a sketch structure to a lot of the scenes that makes them work in isolation. Well, and there's almost not a scene you can come into in those movies where you you don't want to watch the rest of it. You're like, oh, I remember mm-hmm. this scene. This is this is that this is the scene where the claymation dog eats that guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I'll give you a perfect example. Like uh, another movie that that I, I know I saw that way that I've never seen from the very beginning to the end is um, Forrest Gump. You know, I know oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I'm yeah. sure I've seen yeah. the whole movie, but just in different sections, and I don't quite know how they all fit together. Um, so, you know, uh, but anyways, I'm sure a lot of people saw Night of the Comet in that sort of fashion. Um, yeah. So. So what about the bad guys in the department store? How did you guys feel about that scene? <laughs> Man. What is that? What is that movie? I can't remember what it was. It's, it's like a John Cusack movie where it's like got the, the two guys who have the, the car and they have like a, a speaker on top of it. And they keep pulling up next to the protagonist and like doing this wrestler announcement thing where they challenge him to like. <laughs> Drag oh, was that better off like dead yeah i think that was yeah. Better off dead. yeah yeah that it, i was powerfully reminded of that scene <laughs> you know he has that announcer thing he does and i was like oh man yeah, the, i yeah, wonder the if guy, this is what inspired them yeah the guy had yeah. a real voice to it like that's kind of what sold the group for me was the guy's delivery in in how you know obviously he's meant to be kind of like a like a psycho as a product of being infected by this stuff but they sort of play camera tricks with you and make him look very not infected and then by the the last scene with him it's very obvious that he's infected um yeah i I feel they were a little dirty there actually with the lighting or something because you're actually i was actually looking for clues and i was like no his skin is skin is pink he's got you know he's got the sunglasses on but you can't really you know yeah literally on like i said i I was doing the same thing and i'm like what are these guys up to what's their game here why are they trying to kill these girls what is what is happening and then you're like oh okay they're they're monsters okay but but what i liked about it is again like these are not we're gonna have to debate whether this is a zombie movie in a little bit but like these are not Mm -hmm. normal zombies these are they, they have motivation like these were former stock boys who have taken over the store and now they've got this weird idea about you can't just come into the store and take whatever you want because it's out. You know what I mean? And 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 it and again at first you think like you think oh like what are they gonna do to them like is it, like you you know you, you think it's like, gonna be something sexual or something like that and then it's something much more elaborate that's just whatever's going on with their zombie infested minds. They're you know so that so they start doing like a Russian roulette type game or something. And then it what I'm assuming is because we saw that guy eat uh dupree in the um in the alleyway that they were eventually going to try to eat them or something i think that's ma- mm-hmm. you know i think i think that's the main thing that these creatures do is and, and how they maybe connect to zombies um yeah well if you want to start the debate now i i would say more technically i'd classify them as ghouls as it's ghouls. like they're these kind of semi-dead characters that that feed on human flesh but they've still got a vestige of their personality left which is more well, of a ghoul kind of thing 
it's more than a vestige though it's like they're on cocaine and like certain <laughs> parts of their personalities are super ramped up and crazy i i do yeah. i yeah. do feel like this is like a pcp sort of thing like you know what i mean like it's like one of yeah. the like like or like in modern day it would be like a meth head type you know sort of plague like it and and they all kind of the physically they look kind of like you know they look like you might like a really exaggerated drug addled person yeah well uh, going to the first scene we get with them in the alley when she's leaving the theater it's like that is a classic you've run into some person who's totally out of their brain on drugs in a back alley yeah. kind of situation so <laughs> which is what it, she it seems to think that. it is too she doesn't, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, having, you know, spent years of my life in big cities, it's like encountering <laughs> someone like that in a back alley is just, yeah, it happens. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I don't know. So, so uh, Joel, do you feel this is a zombie movie? Or do you feel this is more, like Adam would say, a ghoul movie? Okay, I, I think that really sort of depends on how far you're willing to extend the metaphor of zombies like that umbrella is pretty big right okay because i mean like sometimes the zombies are because they're communists and sometimes the zombies are like a more general like societal collapse thing or mm -hmm. sometimes the zombies are racism you know or just a plague in this case if you extend that metaphor and you say the zombies are uh like a drug epidemic then what you have are like cocaine zombies basically you got meth zombies yeah and in that case, you have kind of the classic elements of zombies, but you also have something kind of more sinister that happens beforehand, right? Because the 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 thing about drugs, as far as like a story structure thing, is that it can start with subtle symptoms and then it ramps up and eats like your soul, your personality, and then ultimately it destroys you. That's what this virus does. And well, somewhere along that continuum, you become a full-on like kind of classic Romero eat people zombie. So I think that you can make the you, you can say that this is a much longer metaphor of zombie. Well, well to add it add, add it to the front of your metaphor too, it starts with a big party where you're having a great yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's <laughs> it. It might have been a metaphor for the eighties too, you know, but like the uh the and also that the 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 kid zombie that he meets in the um at his parents, his mom's house, uh, is kind of mm. more like a classic zombie. He's just growling. I don't think he actually says anything. Mm. But the other ones are holding like full blown conversations. These are, you know, yeah, they have but, plans. But but I still think of this as zombie. Like I, I get what you're saying, Adam. I think you're right. I think like they're more better classified as a ghoul. But I don't think there's like a genre of film like ghoul movies. No, right? well, this is so. this is definitely inspired by zombie movies. I mean, yeah, if you're looking at influences, yeah, this was influenced by zombie movies no question but but it ends up being um i don't know just be again because the zombie it's not you don't have the throngs of zombies flooding the streets you don't it's not like and and the in and, and and they just seem like a much more manageable threat overall and i don't know if that's because the main characters are so competent that they're just you know that 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 we're sort of seeing things from their point of view or if it's just that no this is just a more subdued end of the world scenario that's maybe you know not again it's just not as um i don't know like it's maybe more realistic like if you have zombies wandering around they're not like always coming to get you just because you're there they they can get distracted by other things right like i i think <laughs> you, you know so i i think maybe it's a little bit more like you know the chances of running to a zombie is kind of akin to like the chances of running into a bear in the woods. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of a threat mm -hmm. level. Um, well, it is, but the zombies are also considerably more dangerous because of their intelligence. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's, I don't know. I feel like that kind of ultimately evens out the danger level because I mean, in the end they're fighting a group of extremely well-organized government, like weapon carrying super zombies kind of like they're just, they're basically still zombies but they're intelligent as people and they have a military, you know, and a complex that they've got like elaborate traps in and things like that. So, well, not traps, but I mean, like, you know, they, they use the environment to their advantage, like an intelligent hostile force would. Yeah. And, and it is very unclear, like at what point you, it's not like, a, like in most zombie movies, you, you turn at a certain point and then you're a zombie. Mm -hmm. Right. And this one, the transition mm -hmm. is much more subtle and progressive. It's like, you know, you don't. Uh, you you know, might call it insidious, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's really hard to know where the line is with this one. And I don't. I also am under the impression, 
that maybe not everybody ends up the same. Like, because it's, I I feel like the woman never really becomes a threat to anybody. She just kills herself before she could become a threat. Even that lead scientist isn't like attacking his fellow scientists like a maniac. He's definitely driven to terrible deeds for his own survival. But he's not, um, you know, he's not going around eating his own science, his fellow scientists, and he seems to have a uh, a more uh, sense of enlightened self interest than, mm-hmm. than than zombies would typically have in a movie. So I, I feel like yeah, it's got kind of a Tommyknockers vibe to it, actually. Oh wow, Tommyknockers <laughs> reference! Wow. Well, I mean, like that was the thing in Tommyknockers, right? Where like. It, it was people that were slowly turning into something abominable and inhuman. It's yeah, no, it's a good, here. it's a good reference. I, uh, yeah, I just haven't thought of that book in a very long time. That's all. Well, I, I read it. And I was kind of disappointed in it. I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's the book. All right. That was the last Stephen King book I ever read. So make of that what you will. But, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it. I think the last book I read was the last of the Dark Tower series, and I was like, I, and I put it down. And I remember, like, right before the last, like, ten pages of that, he warned you not to read them because I think he knew they were garbage. (laughs) And then he sort of made fun of you for thinking they were bad. And I'm like, okay, look, dude. (laughs) I bought seven of your books, right? And I spent, you know, a decade of my life waiting for these to come out. And I read all of them. And Mm -hmm. you call me a shithead at the end because you can't think of an ending. Yeah, no, I'm done with you, dude. Yeah, Tommyknockers, I have to, there were things I liked about Tommyknockers, but I was just like, by the end, I was just like, okay, I've read, I've read all of his books up to that point. And I was like, I don't think I have anything more to get out of reading another Stephen King book at this point. So, yeah, you, <laughs> you know, I, and I said that too, a few times, and then every once in a while, I'll go back to something like, uh, he, he did a, in one of his, I want to say it was like Night Shift or something. He uh-huh. did a poem called Paranoia, a chant, I think. And it's one of the most incredibly unsettling pieces of writing I've ever read. I it's have brilliant. read Shift. I'll have to look look at that because I, 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 I love his short stories, actually. I've yeah, probably read like, some of his short stories since Tommy Knockers. So. Yeah, he's amazing for short stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But I... I... We're, we're going astray. I'm we're sorry. Going astray here. We, we've got astray a few times, which is fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. but this movie, yeah. I, there's a lot of actual high cerebral moments in this movie that make you contemplate it in ways I was really not anticipating. Like this, yeah. this meditation on the zombie and what it is to be a zombie. How fascinating that it's able to make <laughs> us ask those questions. Like, where's the line? Do you need throngs of zombies? What, what about Wesker yeah. from Resident Evil? Like, he's a zombie, kind of, isn't he? Like, and he's like a malicious, intelligent zombie. Yeah. Does that count? Well, and they give you, um, because they're dealing with something that's completely invented for this movie, they are allowed to make a whole new set of rules, and you mm. have to discover them as you're watching the film. So it's, it's one of the good things about that is it's a total mystery. It's not, you know, it's, so it, it's sort of like a good movie if you haven't seen it, but you've seen a lot of zombie movies, but you want something that's totally fresh for you, where you're not going to necessarily, you, you want the experience of what it was like the first time you saw a zombie movie and didn't know what the rules were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is, I think it's good for that. Um, like, I don't think don't want... that, that this disease is transmitted through biting or anything like that. Um, nope. You know, it... No, and I mean, and the other thing, too, is that these zombies are literally rotting anyway. They're all yeah. dying, and it's like, by the end of the movie, we have that scene with the rain and all the dust getting yeah. washed away, and it's like, it's over. It's not like... It's not like it was a permanent problem. You just had to survive that gauntlet of these uh, crazy people that were slowly dying. And then you're fine. You can kind of go on and do your own crazy thing in the aftermath. We should talk about the end because here's my here's my here's here's my note for that. This is how I don't know. I I feel there's a lot of ambiguity. I said very, very dark, but oddly optimistic at the end, yet dark. (laughs) Yeah, you know, so like yeah. it's it's uh even the optimism is dark because you kind of have once you think about it for a moment you're like oh you know like like there's nobody around except them and uh, this guy in the car what was it, DMK or whatever his uh, whatever his initials were um, but also like if you think about what the um, what the Regina character is like all the way up through the movie and then you think of how she's acting in that scene. I feel like she's really unhinged by that point. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's like, she's. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You don't we'll think go, so? I don't oh no! Go, go ahead. Go, no, go. Well, I okay, just feel I'm like gonna... fight, fight, fight. No, I'm sorry, I go ahead. 
she's a little unhinged because she's and it's understandable like it's an understandable reaction but she goes from being kind of like a normal teenager to suddenly starting a family with these two kids and hector and she's fully fully like in the mom role do you know what i mean and like it can't have been that long right like the kids haven't grown so well the lights are still working (laughs) <laughs> yeah so yeah i i, I don't the lights of the water seem to be fine throughout the movie i i, I don't know you know but uh so and also she and again it's totally understandable she wants to she she wants to carry these kids and civilization into the future so she's enforcing all of the rules of civilization which includes waiting for the lights to cross the street um you know which makes zero sense when there's literally nobody on. But it did. It did. They almost got. Well, yeah, almost yeah got but that hit. was the, that was like a joke. You know, that's like the humor <laughs> of the know. scene. Like, you know, there's nothing in sight. And then like it was almost like Harold and Kumar when they try to cross the street and they look and there's like nothing for miles. <laughs> and then the cop car pulls up. It was it was yeah. that level of uh, of zaniness, uh, I thought. Um, yeah, definitely. But I, I mean, the thing there's two ways to read it. I mean, one, I agree that you're you have a valid reading there. The other thing I was just wondering, I'm like, well, is this scene just her messing with her little sister? You know, we have to we have to, you know, I mean, I just that that was like another be. interpretation. I was just that, you know, it's just it's just her kind of goofing around a little bit. But uh, but she's also I, I like go, doting on the kids with the with the clothes and like. Do you know oh, what I mean? Like, there's yeah. like a, there was a lot of stuff in there that just made me feel like, you know, that like, uh, you know, which, which again, I think works. I don't think it's bad. I think it's just an indication that they are the only ones left in this world. And that's like a super depressing and lonely thing, even though it's optimistic because they did survive. Do you know what I mean? Because one thing that you're led to possibly believe is that everybody is going to eventually die of this thing. And by the end of the movie, it's looking like, oh, maybe they're not going to have any problems. Maybe they're going to survive. So, um, but I, but then it becomes like a Mary Shelley's last man type situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I got the impression that they are, they are going to survive because basically, you know, if you are, if you were properly protect, the problem with the people in the base is that they did have, they didn't have their base sealed, but, uh. No, but so. no, and I agree with you, but I just want to point out they were in a sealed base and Samantha was in a shed. And like I somehow <laughs> think like the shed is you know, not you know, I know that the venting and all that, but like a shed's got it's, it's a very nice it. shed. Yeah. Very nice. Um, but uh No, I agree with you. I think that they are meant to be safe, but still there's a part of me that's like you never know. Like that that you know, this this was an insidious type of thing. It could it could just be years instead of days or something yeah um it could be it could be but uh, uh yeah i mean it, it, i mean I, yeah i agree with you it also could be a kind of uh insanity just trying to preserve civilization yeah. by following every possible rule is not i mean that is a that is a trope you see in uh you know these kind of stories sometimes yeah. But, and also yeah, the ending, well, oh, go, the go ending of this movie is the beginning of the Lord of the Flies. So that's kind of weird to think about. <laughs> well, it's also like the ending is also very, like we were saying about the rest of the movie. So 80s, because like this guy pulls up in a sports car and he's the guy from the beginning of the movie that's like beating her high score who we've been yeah. kind of wondering about. And it's like just as you've completely forgotten about him, he, he jumps back in and then he's kind of like, hey, baby, get in and let's go. And, he, and then like Samantha goes <laughs> off on a date with him, basically. Um, and, uh, and I think his, her options are limited, but. Yeah, no, no. But I mean, it's it's just it's just kind of an odd tone. You know what I mean? It's just like a very 80s tone of like, you know, party. Yeah, it, you know, what I mean? there's like a. <laughs> it is nuts, like how enthusiastic the end of this movie is and how upbeat all the characters yeah. are. On the other hand, there may be a philosophical counterpoint in that. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like an absurdism thing, you know, where it's like, well, yeah, sure, the world ended, but you know, we still have sports cars. That's kind of <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I mean by optimistic but dark. Like it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's um, the characters are all exuberant that they survive, but the world is like a shell. Do you know what I mean? Because well, okay, but that's the whole point of of that philosophy, that absurdism philosophy, is that like at one point everyone has to face the guillotine you know you you're gonna you're doomed 
everyone is doomed. That was always the case, though. And this movie just kind of is like, well, yeah, sure, it's sad technically, but, I mean, isn't this the world you already live in? Yeah, no, I, I think you're on to something, because I, I feel like, number one, that's why this movie resonated with me for so many years. Where I would And I would always think about the scene with the female scientist, and I feel like her her story and her monologue kind of encapsulate a lot of what you're talking about, where it's just that, like, the sense of impending doom in this movie really comes from that character. Um, but there is also this, like, I don't know, this charming lightness to so much of the film, too, so... It's, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, it, it definitely, it definitely, it's, it's, it's like, it's depressing, but in like a very realistic way. Do you know what I mean? It's got like, there's a, the, which again, I think kind of goes back to uh, how a lot of the characters reactions early on in the movie are so believable and stuff. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, there's a believability yeah. to, to what's going well, it's on. So, there's a, Here's the thing about the characters that are the heroes of this movie. There is a finite level of suffering that they feel. They they mourn for the world and then they move on. And like there's an almost like storybook kind of vibe to the way that they live their lives. Like, you know, the 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 young the young sister uh is pinathaled and goes to sleep, but then she wakes up as if from death when she's yeah. in uh Prince Charming's trunk. And he's a cowboy in that scene because, <laughs> yeah. of course, he fucking is, you know, and like the cowboy goes out into the old west and he beats the bad guys and saves the girl. It's so and they get married at the end, like and then she drives off with her dream hunk in a sports car. Like everything about it is like almost cartoonish. And yet there is something almost mythologically yeah. resonant about that. I, mm -hmm. I was going to say, but mythic. So I, I think we're on the same page because like it's car it is cartoonish, but it's also got myth to it. And like. The, I I think that scene where she dies and it, like it's a fake death, but like I think for analytical purposes we can say she died. And yeah, she resurrected. we we really gotta because yeah. it's it really feels like a resurrection whenever yeah. you watch it. And like in a lot of ways, this movie is the dark and light parts of American mythology at war with each other. You know, it's it's the war on drugs yeah. and the the war on communism and the nuclear Armageddon fighting against the cowboy and the cheerleader princess and the, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. And, and all that. And the good guys win. So yeah, of course it's depressing and awful. The real world is, and the, the real things that inspire these myths are, but you know, there's something redeeming about the mythology of America too. There's something maybe ludicrously optimistic about the way Americans think about the world, but there's a charm in that that lets them face all that darkness. No, so. I think, too, it feeds into what I was saying earlier, too, about how, you know, around that time period, it was just it was something people would think about because of the nuclear threat. Yeah. Like, what if I was one of the last people left? And and I mean, it, it, it is a kind of ridiculous thing. It's like, well, I you know, there was a map in our classroom that showed what would happen in nuclear war, which is that everyone as close to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base as me would be vaporized. But, you know, you'd still think about it. <laughs> so horribly dark. Look, yeah, children, well, we're at ground zero. Yeah, I, I remember those maps. I remember those maps. Yeah, 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 and there was like the it. slow death zone too. Jay, and there was like, yeah, you know, it's like you're lucky, it's, kids. Yeah, you live in yeah. the vaporization <laughs> yeah. zone. Yeah. Kids over in Kettering, they're gonna spend like 18 hours dying, choking on their own blood with their hair falling out. So, be happy you live in Centerville. So I do want to oh, say this God. is also probably a perfect COVID viewing movie since we're on such yeah. you know, optimistic <laughs> t uh, topics here. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like it just was like I, I've seen I've seen a lot of movies like this since COVID hit because you kind of wanted to see the apocalyptic films in the you know when that <laughs> yeah. happened and and this is what I just did. Good year for the apocalypse. So. Well, well, and I and and this one resonated more with me than most of the other ones, and I think it's because it kind of hits on a lot of the things that kind of keep coming up with COVID and stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's there's just always yeah. different. Like, like I, I, just to give an example, like I feel like the cruelty of the scientists in this one, it sort of matches some of the some of the stuff that happens with COVID in like hospitals and how like you can't like mm. you know you're not allowed to visit loved ones if they're in there with COVID. You know, like there's a there's a yeah. there, there's sort of a a cruel by necessity type thing going on. Obviously, in the movie, it's much more cinematic and sinister. But it, I, I, you know, it's like oh, this kind of is like making me think of stuff that's going on in an odd way. And um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, but, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, but I mean, another thing too is, 
you know, I don't different parts of the world have reacted differently to it. But where I lived back in March, which I lived in the vicinity of New York, everything shut down like mm. March and April. And you would literally, I would leave the house, I would get in my car and I'd drive around like midday on Tuesday and there would be no other cars <laughs> yeah. on the road and no oh, people. Scary. And it was, like I said, it was it was like, wow, I've, I've always thought about this but yeah. now this is what it's really like when well, the world is weirdly I, empty all of a sudden I, I live near boston we weren't shut down as much as you guys were but we were pretty shut down early on like mm -hmm. that and we're still you know it's it's pretty tight i would say overall but the first thing i noticed is we usually have a lot of traffic no traffic traffic was yeah. suddenly not a problem it was kind of like you know like, yeah. like you're saying just like it's as you drive around there wouldn't be anybody out you just be like oh it's just empty you know, like I remember one day, we, I think we drove through Boston one day and it was like it was basically like a ghost town. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you would see you would see people, but it just was not what Boston normally look like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so. it's uh, so. Yeah, I, I that 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 is one parallel I would make because that, like I said, one of the things that stuck me stuck with me through this about this movie was kind of the scenes of them running around in LA and it just mm. being empty and it uh more more like I said the plot I didn't remember but that I that I, I did. But also the red haze I thought really worked for the It the did. Movie. It was it was a really nice low budget way of giving this movie a feel that that really worked for it. Yeah and I have to say I didn't even notice the low budgetness of the film with the exception and this I feel was like a like you like the the scene that you talked about early on in the movie theater it was kind of more like they were doing it on purpose like they didn't even have to do like that wasn't a product of the budget right that was just yeah. kind of like something that made it look like it was a low budget movie but the rest of the movie i didn't really i didn't i didn't have a low budget re response to the film i felt like you know it just looked like a normal movie to me um not because it was doing anything fancy, but because it was just skillfully avoiding, uh, you know, <laughs> revealing that it didn't have a big budget, I think. I don't know what the actual budget yeah. of the movie was. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll find out it was, you know, billions of dollars or something. No, but, it uh, was actually a pretty low budget movie because uh, I, I did I did look that far into it. But uh, uh. I do often I do kind of wonder what happened to the, uh, the the owner of the movie theater. I'm assuming he perished with everybody else. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he just suddenly drops out of the movie. That did, guy looked familiar to me did. for some reason. I can't remember what else he was in. What did you guys think of the the whole negotiating over like the, the little antenna things that he was selling for the comic? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that it was charming. It, yeah, it felt very believable to me. Actually, that did seem, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, this is top of the line. This 950 is top of the line. This is the 750. She's wearing the 750. And it's just, I don't know, just the, the, something about the speech. Also, given what happened, the guy probably should have gone for the 950 ones, right? Because, you know. what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Live fast yeah. and die young. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't know. Anything else to add about Night of the Comet before we uh, we head out? I feel like we've we've covered most of the. I didn't realize how much I had to add until I started talking about it. <laughs> you know like i didn't think about the mythological significance of this movie until i really started cracking into it like oh yeah i guess she does come back from the dead doesn't she <laughs> yeah that, that you know what's funny about that scene too is that scene was kind of done for the audience like obviously that that reveal meant nothing to the guard right but like the reveal meant so much to the viewer so i feel like hector's mm -hmm. whole scene with that guard was really just sort of you know for us um that was one scene that kind of stood out for me for that reason, because the rest of the scenes didn't didn't feel like they were playing the audience that much. But that one, I was like, well, that guard, that's meaningless information to this random guard that you've, uh, unless he's got like access to really high level, you know, information from the scientists, um, you know, any and 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 I'm assuming they wouldn't tell him who Samantha was and and all, and all this stuff. So she's in the, she was just a casualty, basically. Yeah, well, it's just I gotta like, tell you though. I, I sort of want to see David Lynch do a, a take on this movie you now. He probably wouldn't do it. But, like, I feel like if anyone could, man. Because I've already mentioned David Lynch in this conversation, so now I can speculate a little bit. I would love to see this exact script just done in his insane, bizarre pacing. You know? It wouldn't really be that different. 
No, and he uh, he he uh, he do well with the characters in this movie. He'd do something interesting with them. Well, yeah, and so. it, David Lynch always does like he really likes strong women. Like that's one of his favorite things to put in a movie, mostly because he's so in love with Laura Dern. And who can blame him? Uh, Laura <laughs> Dern's fantastic. Well, but uh, yeah, I mean. And we've seen we've seen a slight touch of what he do with the zombie film in uh, Twin Peaks: The Return during the. Uh... Oh, don't spoil it! Don't spoil it! I haven't seen it yet. I've oh, been saving uh, myself. You've been and the one and I've never Twin seen Peaks, Twin Peaks, so I assumed you'd seen it. But, no, uh... no, I've been promoting Twin Peaks so that I will get to see it. I keep putting uh, it off because I want to watch it with someone okay. else and talk about it. It's one of those things where you want to talk about it. And if you watch it alone, you can't. You guys got to go to your friends and be like, "Coffee and pie and Killer Bob." I'll catch you in my death bag. (laughs) (laughs) Friends are like, you've had too much coffee. Yeah, but I I will stop talking about Twin Peaks to return then. (laughs) So I don't know. Anything else to add? Um, No, I think I'm tapped out. We didn't really talk about the guy very much, did we? Hector was a good character. It's just that there was, I think, so. you know, he, he, he worked well in the movie. I liked the whole thing where like, he basically, I, I, I think his backstory, he's a truck driver, and he essentially had what sounds yep. like a prostitute in his truck yep. with him. And okay. sleeping with the prostitute is what saved him from the comet, because he had to go into the <laughs> truck. Um, but I liked how honest he was about it when she asked him. Do you know what I mean? I thought that was kind of a, that was sort of like a point in his favor as a character. Um, you know, he, he, he was, you know, he, he had vices, but he was sort of an, uh, uh, I don't know, he, he was very upfront about them. Uh, from the moment that we yeah, him. there was nothing so, duplicitous about his yeah. character. He was he was a straight shooter. He was admirable. I, I also just kind of like the little subplot he had where he would try to save his mom and he had to fight the zombie kid. There's something sort of fun about yeah. that whole. Little yeah, I like the line. You're lucky I like kids. You know, something like that. Like, <laughs> like he just wouldn't kill this. Like I, the whole time, I'm just like, just shoot it in the head. You know, like it's gonna keep coming. You know, but he he he. It reminds he me of the song it. Leslie and the Lee's Zombie Killer. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is shoot them in the brains, even the little kids, as part of the chorus of that song. <laughs> I, well, I think I'm saying that as somebody that's just, you know, grown up watching zombie movies my whole life. But Hector is plunged into this world, and you know, and that, and and that was probably a scene that's meant to indicate that he's, you know, his humanity is still intact. And so, if he had shot the kid, then you'd be questioning his humanity for the rest of the yeah. Film. If he had yeah. just not even hesitated and just popped that kid. Yeah. Well, I the thing I thought of oddly enough, I play Minecraft with my nephews because they're all deep into Minecraft, and in that you have you have a lot of zombies in that game. But there's also the baby zombies, and those are the really fast zombies. They're just like small, and they just barrel at you at high speed, and they're they're the, the one of the most more terrifying monsters in the game. So I when when he just came through, I'm like, oh, it's a baby zombie, run. <laughs> you know, I I have thought that. That Minecraft was Minesweep for the longest time until you. <laughs> I, I spent about a year thinking it was Minesweep yeah. or two. I'm like, why are people so into yeah, Minesweep like, all of a sudden? That's because that's what, what I, I thought it was like a new version of Minesweep, basically. Like, you know, like, oh, it's like 3D or something great, you know. <laughs> and I was like, that's, uh, yeah, they I, need to I, change I, the I, name I, of that so. game. Um, <laughs> oh, it's the greatest selling video game uh, of all time. So okay. I think they have. They've kind of made people forget about Minesweeper by this yeah, I'm, point. I'm now probably the wrong dangerous. person to ask about, you know, <laughs> you know, naming naming your video game. Um, all right, so why don't we head out, and we'll be back next week. Are we, we're going to continue with the zombie theme now. This was sort of our soft entry into zombie month. Um, yes. We already did Night of the Living Dead, so we're probably going to do another Romero during the month. And we have a few other films lined up, and we'll, you know, we'll see which, which ones end up making the final cut. And, uh... And until if we weren't old men, we could do a Twitter poll. That would be amazing. Maybe. Well, I don't know if I want to be. See, here's the thing. I don't. I don't, <laughs> don't want to go on Twitter. I know it's the I, real it, life zombie apocalypse. It's I not never that. like putting things up to a to a popular vote. It's an invitation for disaster. I, I <laughs> Democracy well, is evil. And we balls. saw that in this movie. The majority clearly was was misguided <laughs> in this film. So, do we want do we want to entrust a majority of people to decide what movie we're going to watch? I like uh, how immediately we all reject democracy <laughs> from principle. It, we're so like, like nope, concentration of power all the way. We're like Rick in in uh, what what was it season two? 
two of um, Walking Dead where he's, you know, this is not a democracy. <laughs> to be fair. You're in a situation movie. where they're like, let's pick all the most horrible movies that are just abysmal and painful to watch and let's make them watch that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a strong instinct amongst people. And yeah. I don't trust. Yeah, I, I, I share Adam's <laughs> suspicion of our audience and... Um, <laughs> and I think they should all stop listening to our program as well. I think they're they're terrible people. No, no, I, I uh, they're all filth. Get yeah. out. See you next week. No, I, I no, you know, know what it is. I just don't like. I don't. I, I want to be able to have input in the decision. I feel like if we put it up to a poll, we'll get a result, and then we'll be dreading watching that movie for the yeah, the whole I, I week. I feel like I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> I like you know people throwing ideas at us. That I am totally fine with. I just I don't, don't like. I just don't like having the audience calling the shots entirely on things generally. And yeah. and and anybody who who wants to write hate mail, they can all write it to Joel, and Joel will pass it along to us. Just uh, the mushroom press at, yeah. at gmail.com, folks. Can, can you Send say that again? Because I think it cut off a little bit. Yeah, it's the mushroom press at gmail.com. Send me your hate mail, all of it. <laughs> so, all right. So until next week, we will talk to you later. Thank you.